listening to the Derek Sante Podcast, the show that brings you insightful conversations about everyday topics. We just aim to keep the discussion above the average. Our guests are the ones bringing the social proof to the conversation. Let's get into it. I'm your host, Derek Sante, and today I am privileged to be having a conversation with this individual. She's one of the most hardest working individuals that I've known, as well as one of the most giving. She's someone I've known since high school, and it's been a real pleasure to have the privilege to share some memories between uh, both our families. She's a registered practical nurse for other people's family members by day and a superwoman, a.k.a. a mother, (laughs) every time after that. Please help me welcome my friend, Wendy Antoine Mitchell. Welcome. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Ha! I finally got you here. (laughs) So what I do with every episode is I open with a quote and um, I want to get your opinion on the quote. So the quote I have for you reads, in the game of chess, the king may rule the land, but it is the queen who truly impacts the game. What comes to mind when you hear that? Um, I'm thinking the traditional male-female um, role as we know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we often refer to the male in the family as the king, the queen as a female. So, I mean, for me, I would say that every time I think about, you know, the, the king in that traditional sense, it's about the male being the head of the household who takes care of most of the, I would say, the most important things, the things that we feel like are the things that we depend on from a male perspective. Okay. And in turn, the queen is the one who is, in the traditional sense, maybe subjective to that um, king, <laughs> you know. But I think in modern day society, a lot of what we're seeing now in terms of the gender roles, in terms of what the king and the queen means, the queen nowadays seems like the one that is actually running the castle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, there's a role for both, but I think with women, um, we tend to be the ones that pull everything together. So we go from one end of the spectrum in terms of that (laughs) nature-nurture to basically I am managing every other aspect of our lives yeah. by bringing everything that we are both doing together. Yeah. So that's what I feel about that quote. No, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I think women don't get enough credit mm-hmm. um, because we aren't able to, when I say we, I'm talking about the males, we aren't able to identify the significance in everything that you do. Right. We, we, we are simple. So we're trying to find labels to identify what a woman does on a day to day. And when I actually take a moment and think about it, I can't I can't track every single thing because you guys do so much. Yeah. Right. Okay. So much that gets overlooked um, that are uh, underappreciated and not recognized. And so that is what I'm starting to realize that there's so much that you guys do that we take for granted. And it's not, you know, reflective in how we display our appreciation. So for me, that's something that I'm I'm consciously trying to work on. Um, but I think, yeah, you're right. Like women do run 
the show. We just think we run the show, but we don't, <laughs> right? Because at the end of the day, I always say to people that believe that, you know, especially the guys that believe they run things, I say to them, if your wife went on vacation for a week, you probably wouldn't know where to find the salt. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> let's, let's be honest. You're going to call her while she's on her vacation. Be like, uh, where do you put this thing? Where do you put that thing? And yeah. I know I'm guilty of that. Right? So um, I have moments where I'm like, I should know where this thing is, but I don't. Yeah. You know? Uh, and those are the small things that we overlook. That's um, management skills right there. Right, right. <laughs> At his highest level. Because you got to you gotta yeah. manage the, the house. You got to manage yourself. You got to manage your partner and the kids and everything else that's involved with the family, but it's external to the home, right? You got to yeah. manage that. Appointments and all these things. And so oh, yeah. it's a hell of a lot. And so that's that's why that quote was was important for me to share because it is the queen who truly impacts the game, not the king. The king just sits there. <laughs> you know, and it's the queen that makes sure everything goes according to plan. Yeah. Um, I wanted to have this conversation with you about, you know, your journey on uh, within the educational institution, uh, what family means to you, the sacrifice, and um, just finding the balance, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's that's what I wanted to kind of talk to you about. So let's let's start from the beginning. Tell me a little bit about a 15 year old Wendy, and um, how different she was to the Wendy today? Oh, wow. Very different. <laughs> <laughs> I was that extremely shy and quiet 15-year-old. Yeah. And it, there's a saying back home that um, butter can't melt in your mouth. <laughs> mm. And basically that means that that person is that shy. They're calm. They're not engaging. They're not reacting too much around them. They're just, you know, extremely shy. Mm -hmm. That was me as a 15-year-old. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> not so shy today. No, I'm reserved, but I'm not shy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And do you come from a large family? So my immediate family, there's four kids. So I have an older brother, a younger brother, and a younger sister. So there's four in my immediate family. Okay. However, <laughs> mm -hmm. I have a very large extended family. Um, my grandfather recently passed away and my we were pulling all the, thank you, pulling all the names together to count the kids and the grandkids and mm -hmm. the great grand. And there were over 70 grand. Wow. And over 90 great grand. Wow. <laughs> and that's what we can count. So wow. I come from a very large extended family, which uh, we are very close. So is it because of that funeral preparation that you were able to discover how large your family was? So we knew. We always um, were aware that we had a lot of mm -hmm. um, like cousins and second cousins. Right. But um, I think it was just pulling the names together and doing the count that we realized it was that many of us. Wow. Yeah. So you, where do you fall? You said you have, there's four of you, right? In your immediate family. Yes. Where do you I'm fall? The second. Oh, I'm you're the, the second, second oldest? Yes. Okay. So how was that like growing up with four, um, with three other siblings? Um, in Grenada, it was basically, um, 
I, I, I know a lot of the West Indian culture is that the girls are really focused on domestic mm-hmm. uh, experiences, whereas the, the boys were more allowed to go out and play and do all of those things outside. So for me, because I was the oldest girl, I was the one that kind of assumed that responsibility. So I was the one that learned to do cooking and things like that early mm. um, because of that. Um, and because I have two younger siblings too, uh, when my mom was not with us at the time, she was in Canada and we were back home. It's almost like I took on a motherly role to my younger sibling. Right. Is that still the same as far as cultural wise back home? Like, is that still the same? Right now, um, I've been here for so long. So I, I don't know the day to day of, you know, exactly mm-hmm. what's going on now because I know the experience that I had growing up in Grenada is not the same experience that teenagers have growing up there now. Right. I think it's it's so, you know, close to the Western, <laughs> North American society that, right. that the things that I was responsible for then, I don't think a 15-year-old would be responsible for that now. So do you, do you find it to be more beneficial the way you grew up or... Um, not so beneficial in comparison to what a teen might go through today? I I think it was beneficial for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still able to focus on education because education was a priority in the home. Right. Um, at the same time, I was gaining those skills. So to me, it was beneficial. Right, right. There's pros and cons to everything, I guess. The grass can't always be green on both sides, so... I know. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you come to Canada from Grenada? 1995. 26 years. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 1995. What was that experience like when you first came? Oh, cultural shock. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you remember from that day? Like what stood out for you? <laughs> so coming into the country, coming into the airport system, um, you're coming from a small island where you see big buildings in comparison to your size. Mm-hmm. And you come here and it's like, wow, the airport is massive and we have to walk for such a long distance before we even get anywhere. We're in the same place, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that was my initial culture shock. Mm. Um, the culture shock in terms of school was very, very harsh. When I say harsh, I mean... It, the comparison was so distinct because I came from a system where when you get to school in the morning, the, we had prefects who were all the students who check on our parents. Mm. So once you get in school, you line up and they're checking you from head to toe. So they're checking that your nails are cut and clean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're checking that your shoes are clean, your uniform um, is really ironed properly. So the appearance was really, really something that they pride themselves in in schools back home. And it is the same way now because they have standard length of curves and the uniform has to be really, you know, something that you have to follow. Yeah. Now, fast forward 1995, I came in and my mom took us to office road. We uh, went to shop for back to school. Now, yeah. we're not going into a uniform school. We're going to public school. Right. Well, we got here and I walked into the school and everybody is wearing anything they wanted. 
that's how I thought. Because we had girls with tights. Yeah. We had girls with crop tops. Yep. Yep. And I'm like, wow. I come from a place where you could hardly even wear that outside on a normal day. Right. Before someone said, what is she wearing? Look at what she's wearing. Right. And I come to Canada. And they're wearing it in the schools. Wow. <laughs> you know? So that was something that was really shocking. <laughs> Another thing was the interaction with students and teachers in the class. Mm. Back home, there was a certain standard. Yeah. You couldn't speak to a teacher in a certain way. You could have an opinion, but you couldn't speak in the way, uh, like the teacher was not priority like we had to respect our teachers to the point where you're asking for permission to leave the class for five minutes to come back right you know right. and i'm sitting in a class and somebody just get up and they're walking off <laughs> <laughs> they're going to the washroom i'm coming back whenever they want they're going to chat with their friends in the hallway right. they're going to smoke in the corner yep. you know and that was so different because you don't see teenagers smoking in Grenada. Yeah. You cannot you cannot just talk to the teacher anyhow you want. You, you're you not in charge of your education. You're in the school system and the school system is in charge of it. You wow. know? So that was a really, really big um, culture shock for me. My However, gosh. I think what that did for me was the fact that, first of all, going into Bathurst, I think, was a perfect fit for me and the way that I had developed from a shy person into somebody who was now mm-hmm. feeling empowered. Like I have an opinion and I could say it because now there's nobody around to really judge me. Right. Everybody's speaking a little bit different. This one has an accent from Jamaica, mm-hmm. from Africa. You have like, you know, students from all over the world and everyone has that different accent. Yeah. So now I felt like, okay, well, nobody knows me in this place and everybody seems to be fine in their place. Yeah. You know, so that allowed me to basically open up and say, okay, well, I could basically do what they're doing. Right. You know, because everybody has a voice. So it did change me in that way. Nice. Now let's talk about <laughs> Bathurst. I'm, I'm, what was, uh, if you had to pick two of your favorite memories during those years, what would they be? The trips. One was the trip with uh, Mr. Shoulders. Yeah. Um, we had an Ottawa trip. Yes. Which was something that I never used to go on trips back home because my dad was one of those parents who mm-hmm. was very strict about I don't want you to go because of the dangers. I don't know what the transportation is going to be like, you right, know? Right, So that allowed me to see places that I didn't know. We did Niagara Falls. And the interaction going there and coming back, that socialization mm-hmm. aspect of it, Yeah, I, I really did like that. And mm. because I was new, I was able to explore while going on those trips. Um, right. Also. right. The second thing was the student council experience. For me, uh-huh. I never had that type of um, experience in Grenada. Right. I did not ha- I did not belong to any clubs. A lot of the groups were not focused in school. It was mostly church groups. And like, basically, if you're, you're not going to a particular church, uh-huh. then you're not going to be part of that particular group. Right. So to me, joining the student council really did kind of spark a little bit of that leadership yeah. uh, potential in me because planning the dances and, you know, having to 
to look for DJ, you're looking for venues, you're yeah. looking for... Uh, I really, really did enjoy that. And even now I like even planning and I'm thinking that's really why. Yeah. Because I saw that planning process and the execution and just how people enjoy it. Right. Um, so the, the, the spirit of the school by the activities we were planning, the Raptors banner, I was so proud of the Raptors banner when you used to do it. I didn't have nothing to do with it, but I was so proud because I'm part of the student council. Yeah, and yeah. you know, that's where it was coming from. Yeah. So I was really proud of those, those kind of memories in the school, I think really shaped. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Oh my gosh. Now I'm curious, how would you describe those years for yourself? For myself? Um, it basically showed me that, you know what? There are times when I was told that, oh, Wendy, you're slow. I am a reserved person. Mm -hmm. I don't speak a lot. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of equated to you're not intelligent. So Mm -hmm. I really did. My personal experience was, you know, discovering that you are smart, you are intelligent, and you have the potential to do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. So that experience for me was really, you know, something that shaped me. Was that, was that like suggestions made by um, teachers or other students? Um, teachers, I would say. Mm. It, it was said by teachers when I was like maybe around 13. Yeah. So that, you know, oh, she's going to be this because she's slow. And I think everybody learns differently. And yeah. sometimes in the Caribbean, it's sad to say that that's not taken into account in terms of um, developing curriculum. No, it's unfortunate. I mean, did you did you always know that you were going to get into the industry that you're currently in, like in the healthcare industry, or that just kind of happened? So for me as a child, I always said, like, even when I was maybe six, seven, eight, I want to be a nurse. So to me, I think I always wanted to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. But that did not happen. <laughs> I think when I came here and I saw there was so much different path for me to take, yeah. I kind of deviated away from nursing because I fell in love with food and nutrition. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So I'm not sure if you're aware, <laughs> but I actually started Ryerson. Um, I did two years, actually, of food and nutrition before dropping out. Oh, Ryerson. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. I went when your wife went. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Okay. So basically, I I started, and the only reason why I dropped out was only because of the challenges that I faced in university in terms of the commitment, um, having to work part-time jobs, right. not having that um, financial support, just all-around pressure mm-hmm. that was causing me to not really like the university experience. Right. And the fact that when you step into a university, you're lost unless you find someone to really cling on to right. to show you the ropes because yeah. it's not a community feel. It's you're sitting in a lecture hall with hundreds of students. Mm-hmm. And if you miss something, you have to make sure you find a TA. And if that TA have time and they can schedule mm-hmm. you to, to meet up with them for a certain period of time, then that's the only how you would basically go over what you missed but I felt really lost because it was so massive it was not the faculty I would say was not as welcoming in helping individual students so if I could have done it over I would have done college first and then go to university Mm. so from Ryerson that's how you ended up at Humber yes 
I, when I decided to go back to school, I'm like, now, I was not willing to go for another four years. <laughs> also, so, when, sorry, so when you finished, when you, you know, walked away from Ryerson, you took four years off? No, no, no. I took a year off. Okay. But I was not willing to enroll in a four years on the oh, graduate program. program. Right, yeah. Right. Because I'm like, you know what? Now I have both of that. Now I am in a relationship, which I think is going to be long term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I basically started planning my life. So I'm like, you know what? Let's think go back and I will do my two years um, diploma program. And after that, if I want to go back to university, I can go back and get my degree. So that's how I end up at Humber. (laughs) That's interesting because it's funny because I never thought about it like that. When you said you you want to plan your life, because in high school, we weren't taught to plan your life. We were just told, pick a school and hope that you get in. Mm -hmm. Right. You apply to as many and hopefully one says, yes, we'll take this person. And then you, you know, you go for your interview and so forth. But I like that you're you said it that way because I think it's important for anybody listening who has, you know, younger people in their life that are making that transition, that planning can start early. Yeah. But you have to know what you want for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think some of the biggest challenge for young people is just the parents are usually dictating what it is they should do. Mm -hmm. And that confuses them because then they don't know the difference between what I want to do if I want to just make money or do I satisfy my parents or do I follow my passion? Yeah. You know, because if it was if it was up to my mom, I would be a nurse. <laughs> you would be calling. Right? Because <laughs> that's how she preached. Like, oh, they need men. Go and I'm like, mom, I don't want to do that. And that's true. <laughs> you know, and it was a hard conversation. I remember that conversation because I that was the first time I said, you know, I stood I stood my ground to my mom to say, no, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Um, and I told her, I said, the, the, the only way you're going to have an influence on what I choose to do is if you were paying it, Oh, you're paying for it. And I said, you're not paying for it. You have no voice in this decision. And <laughs> and that's how the conversation ended. She was not happy, but I stuck to it. Right. I said, I'm going to pay my way. Then I get to do what I want to do. But my, my mom, she was the opposite. Whatever we wanted to do, she was supportive in, in that way, in terms of our dreams. But for me, going into nutrition and leaving the program is when that passion for nursing came back. Uh, so maybe it was a good thing that, you know, I had to leave school and realize, you know what, now let me go back into school. Um, let me see what else I want to do. And that love for nursing was always there. So yeah. it was not all for me to apply and do it. I remember one um, girl we went to high school with, Nana. She mm-hmm. went into nursing the same year. I went into nutrition and she always said to me, Wendy, why don't you switch over to the program? We can do it together and I'll help you. Yeah. And I'm like, no, but I want to do nutrition. Yeah. And then I had friends who I had become very close with mm-hmm. in, in the nutrition program. And when I left school, she said, I told you, you should have switched to nursing. <laughs> <laughs> because then we would have finished together. Yeah, you know? yeah. so. <laughs> That's funny. Oh man. How was that experience like that? Humber? When you went there now? Humber, coming from the Ryerson experience to Humber, I felt so comfortable in that program. It was um, a smaller group of people mm-hmm. in pretty much each class in that program. Um, the faculty were all ex-nurses. Oh, um, nice. Some of their, yeah, so they were very relatable. The experience that they told us about 
basically prepared us for what we wanted to do when we, we went out there. Yeah. So I feel like that community feeling was more supportive for me. Nice. So nice. I, I really did enjoy the program. Would you would you do anything different if you had to do it all over again? In terms of getting into nursing, I would definitely start um well, they had a, a bridging opportunity. Mm-hmm. What I should have done at the time was when I was done with the um, diploma program, just bridge into the degree. So oh, that okay. I would have done. I, I took a break and mm-hmm. I never got back. <laughs> okay. You know, so I would have done that difference. I would have done the bridging right away. Now, you, you mentioned that your mom allowed you the freedom to kind of follow your dreams. Um, what does your mom mean to you? And how would you, how would you describe your relationship? Uh, we have a really good relationship, very mm-hmm. close relationship. She's also like me. Um, she's not shy, but she's a very reserved person. Mm-hmm. Her mannerism is similar to mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought recently just about, you know, growing up as a child with our mom being away for, she was away for about six years, mm-hmm. working in Canada, um, helping to support us while we were home. Yeah. And basically, at the time, you figure, okay, your mom is not there, and there's that separation anxiety that you do feel. Yeah. Um, as kids, you really don't know the struggle. Mm-hmm. You don't know her experience because at that time, we were kids and she was here working. Right. Um, she started as a domestic worker and eventually got her um, healthcare aid, started working in the health um, field, and then into the hotel industry. But it's now that I'm looking back, when we came into Canada and she had to support four of us yeah. and still have the responsibility of, you know, providing housing, providing everything for us while supporting us through school, I realized how much of a sacrifice it was for her. Mm. And now that I have kids, yes. I can see now why, you know, certain decisions were made because yeah. it was for our betterment. Yeah. And I remember my dad telling us all the time, I know you guys miss mommy. I know you miss her. And, um, you know, you, you have to just think about the long term. I don't think um, this country is the best place for you guys. I want you to have a better opportunity. So she was that pathway for us to basically get an education here and to, to make something out of our lives because they did not foresee that happening right. in Greece for us. Right. So wow. I, I do appreciate that um, struggle that she's been through yeah. just to ensure that we're here and we can create that life that, you know, they dreamed of for us. That's it. Wow. What's what's your relationship like with your dad? Is he still around? Um, and what, how are you guys connected? So he still does live in Grenada. Okay. Um, yeah. So the goal was for him to be here and um, be part of the family with us. But unfortunately, or fortunately, um, it was my mom's decision to remarry. So okay. she is now, yes, in another relationship. So that um, coming together did not happen. Mm-hmm. But um, we are very much close with him. And he's also close with uh, my mom. They communicate a lot. Nice. Um, just about, you know, us, our experiences here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, very much present in my life. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, I want to dive in on the uh, the healthcare industry that you're a part of. How long have you been in there, uh, in that industry for? So I started my career in the um, 
same organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been with them for 15 years. 15? So yes, I haven't worked anywhere else. <laughs> My gosh. Yep. <laughs> That's dedication. That's a different level of dedication. Now, do you recall the first day on the job after uh, get, coming out of college? Oh, oh boy. That what was, was that scary. like? <laughs> <laughs> that was scary because nursing is something that, you know, I, I've been through the training. I had a very good mentor when I started. Um, a, a colleague that she's a mentor and a friend mm-hmm. um, to me right now. But she basically did my orientation in a way that it was done to model for me what to do. So, okay. uh, yes. So it's like, okay, in this situation, this is what I usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, and open that gate for me to say, you know what? If you need help with anything, reach out to me. Try to find, let me tell you who you can go to for this particular resource and that particular resource. That was not organization-based, however. That was that individual style and her way of doing her orientation. So after that high expectation from her (laughs) and my first day on the floor, I was so nervous. I was shaking. I was shaking because I'm like, okay, well now I don't have her anymore. It's just me and I have to do whatever I have to do. And it's all, I work in in long-term care. So all the residents, nobody knows me. Now I have to go get the medication. I have do all those procedures for them and I'm I'm early 20s late 20s mid 20s Mm. and the people who were the supportive workers to me the PSW were all older than me so it was also intimidating because now I have to direct them right with care so it's like you're thrown into that leadership role but it's like well I was taught to respect my elderly so I can't tell this one this one I can't tell this one that because they're older than me and it's intimidating they've Mm -hmm. been in the business for almost 10-15 years and I'm just starting off so I can't tell them what to do Mm. you know so that was a a bit of um, learning that I had to do like really early but it was it was nerve wracking (laughs) wow very intimidating so educate me on this so you are an RPN Yes. And uh, the PSWs report to you kind of thing? Yes. So we, so the model where I work is that we have um, residents who are living there mm-hmm. on the unit. And right. they're basically, their needs, that their personal needs are taken care of by mostly the PSW. Okay. And the RPN are doing more of the supportive role. So we're doing the medication. We're doing the, like, you know, clinical components, like okay. the clinical skills. We're doing communication with the doctors and things like that. So it's it's a different um, role and responsibility altogether. Got it. But we have to work together as a team just to make sure that that need is met. So, and then, so you have PSW, then you have the RPN... Uh, who? What's the next level above that? If somebody was an RPN, they didn't want to move up the the corporate ladder or whatever. Like, what's the next so step? So it would be um, the RN. So then that would mean going back to school to become an RN. Oh, okay. So the RN in the capacity that they work in at my place of employment is basically supporting us. So okay. if we have complex um, issues that 
we are not really experienced on or we need a more in-depth um, assessment on, mm-hmm. then we would reach out to the, the RN, RN. Okay. to help us with that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, what is, what is, um, pardon my ignorance, because I know nothing about the industry, even though my mom worked in there too, and my sister's in there. We don't talk about this stuff, right? So I'm taking advantage of it and actually asking you some of these questions. Um, what is the most challenging part of your profession? Is it the patients? Is it the coworkers? Or is it the family members visiting the patients? It's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's all of the above. <laughs> wow. That's a it lot. Is. So I, I can say that the biggest challenge for nursing in the capacity that I work as an RPN. Mm-hmm. Now, every organization has different model of how they set up based on ministry's guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, in my place of employment, my responsibility is a set responsibility. The PSW is also a set responsibility. However, in other um, facilities, you may have an RPN whose role is probably just to give, um, give medication with care. So for me, I don't necessarily give care. I do give care, but it's not my sole responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's the, the PSW. But if I work in another facility where there's less PSWs or there's no PSW, then that also becomes part of my responsibility. Now, in my current um, employment, in our model of of RPN there, basically, I have to manage everything that's going on with the client, whether Mm -hmm. it has to do with a television that's broken what it has to do with someone having an infection and they need extra care and they have to be transferred to the hospital. It could be whether somebody is now no longer walking and they need a wheelchair. All those different things we are managing. So if something goes wrong on the unit, I basically, I I may have to call the doctor. I have to call 911. I have to call family members. I have to call... CT, OT. So we are really coordinator of care oh. when it comes to our nursing there. I am coordinating everything that that person is getting. Now we are working as a team, but it's our job really to identify the issues mm-hmm. and to bring it to the, the different discipline to have it dealt with yeah. and have that solution presented back to us, whether it's a team effort or whether it's um, that person getting a chiropody, whether they're going out for treatment to come back to the, the facility. So that's why I say it's challenging because the mental part of it mm. is ongoing, but yeah. also the physical part of it is there. I walk almost my whole shift. <laughs> yes. And sometimes my, my phone shows me that I make up to like 10,000 steps. Wow. In a shift. So I do a lot of movement. So it's physical. It's repetitive and it's also mentally driven. <laughs> so how do you, I mean, how do you, how do you do that all day? And then you have to go home and try and give 110% to your own kids and your family. Well, like- right now, I think my body shut down. <laughs> I have been off for the last two months because during COVID, along with a lot of challenges we had on the unit when it comes to one particular family member who was very demanding and mm-hmm. the client was also difficult yeah. and COVID happened and 
sometimes we don't see, if you don't work in healthcare, you really don't know the, the true impact. The news may say, yes, there's a lot of work and nurses and PSWs, there's a lot of nurses in this department and that department. In the height of the COVID, whether your client had COVID or not, this is what would happen. We would have maybe one person having symptoms. Now, COVID symptoms is also cold-related symptoms. Mm-hmm. So anybody that has a pink eye, anybody that has a new cough, a runny nose, we are isolating them. So our unit at one point, I think we our first case was months after, maybe about almost a year after is when my side got the first um, mm. COVID positive client. Every single body that has symptoms, you have to put them in isolation. Mm-hmm. Now, the isolation, the, the gong-in, the de-gong-in and gong-in process takes a lot. Because now, at one point, we had 10 rooms that were um, on isolation, others for 23 areas. Right. Thank God. So now they don't have COVID, but they require care and they're isolated in the room. Mm. So now your demands are more because now you have to go in those rooms and come out until you get a test result that says negative. You have to treat everyone like they're positive. So even though some places didn't have high incidence of COVID um, cases in the building, the cold symptoms, the pink eyes, the, you know, changing in their normal, you know, just well-being would trigger a COVID response. (laughs) You know, so now instead of having two or three persons isolated, you have 10 people isolated and you have three staff working. Mm, so that was, <laughs> yeah, that's intense. that was an experience. <laughs> wow. Can you share one or, you know, one to three things um, that the average person may not be aware of in that industry? That's shocking. Because, I mean, all we have is the media, right? We have the media, the newspapers, and every um, sort of outlet telling us what you guys are going through. But what you just told me obviously paints a completely different picture. Yep. So in terms of ratio for um, client to nurse ratio, mm-hmm. now how it works at my work is that we have three different areas and each area has 20-something clients mm-hmm. now on per flow. Okay. So we basically have 70-something persons for the whole floor <laughs> mm-hmm. and in the evening in, well let me start in the morning in the morning we have one nurse and you have four PSWs and they're responsible for all the care what then in, yeah and yeah for so 28 23 to 28 clients you have one nurse and four support workers wow in the evening on my shift because I work 3 to 11 you have me and two PSW. Why? That's, I guess, if the the Ministry of <laughs> of Health basically said that that ratio is safe, then the workplace they could operate at that level. Now, obviously, they're they're within a standard, or else they would not be able to operate. Mm-hmm. So they are within some standard, you know, because I've heard in the past, oh well, you guys are lucky here because other places have. More than 28 um, people on that part. Wow. And with less staff. So that is the ratio for evening. Now listen for the night ratio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid. 
<laughs> you went yeah. from five people to three, and now you're going to tell me there's less than that? In the night, you have one nurse for the 70-something clients, and you have one PSW in each area. So that's one to 28, wow. or one to 23. Yep. I consider night shift. <laughs> I had the opportunity. They, they offered it to me first because I was the most senior at the time. And I considered it. And about maybe after a month of considering it, I'm like, nope. Wow. It is not easy. <laughs> And that's, I don't think that's my organization that is throughout Ontario. I don't know about Canada, but that is a stat for Ontario. So it's shocking that to me that there are places who actually experience less um, staffing ratios than we do. How much much longer do you see yourself in nursing? I mean, you mentioned your body's kind of not keeping up, right? And, And you're experiencing changes obviously, because you're not as young as you used to be when you started and, and whatnot. So, like, how long do you see yourself in the industry? So, I know with nursing, the good thing with nursing is that there are a lot of different things you can do with nursing. So, if I don't want to do bedside nursing anymore, I can look for other opportunities that may not involve that direct client care. Okay. There is um, places like um, CCAC mm-hmm. and the LINC program where you are the one doing the case um, reviews and placing people into like long-term care homes and stuff like that. So I I know there are other places that I can go. I don't know how long I can basically withstand the demands of my current position. Right, right. Well, at least, at least you have the option. I, I mean, some people may not have the option to change yeah. careers or even within the same organization, right? So... And my unit too is um, it's a hard unit overall. I know it's not the worst, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it, it's Alzheimer's dementia. Okay. And uh, I know a lot, like before I went into nursing, I didn't know anything about dementia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I went in working on a dementia unit. And even in nursing, in the nursing program, what they don't focus on is um, pediatrics and mm-hmm. geriatrics. So pediatrics with the kids, geriatrics with elderly. Mm-hmm. And the, the courses are not focused on the care of those groups, those two groups. So when I started nursing now, it's when I learned all the different um, types of issues that people in geriatrics had. And dementia is one of the biggest ones. And I happened to work on a dementia unit. And for the last, I would say, 15 years, mm-hmm. wow, it has changed <laughs> it's been i guess it's i think it's a it's a global thing though. Mm-hmm. i don't know what it is was a contributor towards that increase in in dementia but i was looking up some stats and it's saying over five hundred thousand people currently in canada are diagnosed with dementia what's the cause of that though what's the early stages like how do you what causes that so dementia, basically, it's it's the like inability to to really remember, think, mm-hmm. make those kind of decisions that would affect your daily living. Now, Alzheimer's is one thing that causes um, dementia. It's one of the, the the symptoms that we see often. Um, some types of dementia they have 
um, like brain damage caused from brain damage, but mm-hmm. a lot of them are naturally occurring. There's no actual specific thing that you can say, okay, this is what causes dementia. There's a lot of research going on now, especially in my organization, actually, Mm. um, looking for, like, you know, the cause of dementia and how they can slow it down and what affects it. There's um, studies all over the world looking into whether it is food, like the type of food we we eat that is contributing towards that, you know, increase um, in dementia. And what I have noticed over that 15 years span is the increase in behavioral symptoms with dementia. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of the um, symptoms of dementia vary. So dementia is something that has lots of stages, has lots of different causes causes and symptoms. So one person's symptom may differ from the next. So it's okay. pretty much out of 23 clients that I have, all the dementias that I see over the years, mm-hmm. everyone's symptom is slightly different. There's no one with the exact same symptom. Got so it. you have things like um, anxiety, you have sleep disturbance, hallucination. Mm. You have a lot of now what I'm seeing is increased um, behaviors. So a lot of hitting and spitting and cussing. And you hear in the news a lot of RTS are saying, look, we're not being compensated enough because we've been abused. Mm-hmm. I can tell you firsthand, I have been abused. <laughs> wow. You know, and it's not only me, it's the peace abuse. It's like pretty much everybody who would come into contact with certain clients. So wait, what, but do you have any protection though? Like what, what can you guys do? Well, we do have strategies that, you know, and, and medication intervention that will relieve some of those symptoms. Um, no, I'm talking fun. like after the fact. The the person already spat on you or hit you or whatever. Like, what what do you guys do after that? Like, can you report? We have a reporting system. That's it. And yeah, you report your incident. Then you basically, um, if if it's a new behavior, then you will try to get interventions through the psychologist and mm-hmm. psychiatrist to see how we can better come up with um with ways to to reapproach and to you know, kind of distract the behavior. Uh, a lot of their approaches sometimes work. A, a lot of them don't work because they're so individualized. Mm. And I'm part of the, the team that I do a lot of care planning, which is um, basically tailoring the client's individual need. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, it does not translate that well on the unit. Because uh. every time you go to this, clients and the other clients, you have to basically approach everybody differently based on their individual dementia symptoms. Mm-hmm. I don't believe we have enough staff, we have enough people to basically do what we say we're doing in this care plan. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So that leads me to my next question because if you were the president or owner of um, you know, a long-term care facility what are some of the things that you would implement that aren't currently available in that industry? So I would say some of what I would think to implement already exists. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's effective in the way it's basically um, rolled out. Okay. Now, for me, our biggest issue is depression in dementia clients. Mm. And not even in dementia clients, only in the elderly. Now. Right. That is my field. I've been in geriatrics for 15 years. So I do now have a passion for that. And 
I see a lot of people come in, people who have a diagnosis of dementia, and we know that they would eventually decline. But what I feel personally, the decline is happening way faster than it needs to. Uh There are lots of lack of stimulation in terms of promoting um, quality of life. Engagement and all that stuff. Yes. Yeah. So we do have recreationists. We used to have a lot of volunteers. Now, not so much because of COVID. We haven't had volunteers in a while. But I have seen a client come in in one month. They're walking. They're talking. They want to engage. They want someone to speak to. To the second month, they're there. They're depressed. And they're not talking to anybody. And they're basically declining physically. Because I don't believe there's enough stimulation. Wow. And we have the research. Mind you, our company is one of the world's leading mm. in research for how we prevent that from happening. What are the, the different therapies? They do have music and physical therapy and all of those things which are proven to work. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe that we're implementing it in the way that we should. should. Yeah. For example, I can tell you there are clients who basically have family who visit them every day. And there are clients who have families who don't visit them at all. And there are people who are looking for that familiarity with us. Mm -hmm. They're looking for that sense of social interaction with the staff. And sometimes I feel, when I started off in nursing, I feel I used to do that. Mm -hmm. Because I really did care about, oh, let me go sit down with this client in the room for 20 minutes. And let me discuss things with them. Ask them about their life, their kids, you know. Nowadays, honestly, I don't have time to do that. Yeah. So sometimes I may be walking in the hallway and a client comes and she grabs my hand and she's rubbing it and she wants to talk for more than a minute or two mm-hmm. and I only have 30 seconds. Right, right. <laughs> Literally to stop and do that engage. Yeah. I do it. I'm telling you, there's a lot of nurses that does Yeah. Because wow. they're, 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 they're so focused on, oh my God, and rightfully so. I have this to do, I have that to do because I have to leave here at 11 o'clock. Right. I don't need some time until like three. <laughs> Whoa. But I sacrifice, exactly. I sacrifice my time. It's almost like I'm volunteering in between my job because I'm going to stop and I'm going to talk because I've had clients say to me, oh my God, you're, you're so serious, nurse. You're not even smiling today. And I'm not aware mm-hmm. because of the stress. Yeah. You know, yeah. oh, I'm calling you and you're not even coming to me. You're not even saying hi to me. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I don't even hear because I'm so focused on tasks. I don't like that part of nursing because I feel that we, through the volunteer program, we could have people come, sit down with those clients, Mm -hmm. talk to them, play cards game. And the recreational um, department, they're they're trying their best, Mm -hmm. but they're also very limited in their resources and how they can implement to individuals. And, And the times that they do is, up until maybe six o'clock. What happens after six o'clock? Have you heard of sundowning? No. Okay. <laughs> so sundowning is something again in dementia that basically um, causes an increase in confusion and behavioral symptoms as it gets darker in the day, oh. and that's directly related to dementia clients. So you may find more people wandering the hallways. You may find more people exit seeking, they're trying to get out or, or they're getting into fights with each other or they're threatening the staff because they have that 
I don't know what the exact cause of sundown is. I think mm. it's the, the darkness that causes the confusion. Or maybe sometimes they're not even aware outside it's dark, but something in nature that mm. is causing that increase in behavior as the day gets darker and later. So we don't have anybody. After six o'clock, it's me and my two staff. So wow. who's going to provide that interaction until those people are gone off to bed? And some of them really go to bed much later. So I feel that that is lacking. That's something that I would change because you need to have people around to do that constant interaction with the clients when that happens. I've had so many issues with Sundongin in the last couple of months. That's why I'm depleted. (laughs) Wow. I I honestly didn't even think that was a thing. Yes. That's incredible. I no, I appreciate you sharing. I didn't. I had no idea. So, is is Alzheimer's come before dementia, or is it the other way around? So, dementia basically is is almost like a, a symptom of um, Alzheimer's. Oh, so, it's so like- you have Alzheimer's dementia. So it's like a cross. Alzheimer's on its own is basically um, think about a coil. Mm-hmm. If you have a coil and you're starting from the outside edge and you're going in. Towards the, the center, yeah. so your most recent memory is being chipped away until it gets to back to the center where you have your remote memory, where you don't recognize yourself as the person you are because now you don't have any memory of that. Mm. But that, so yeah, so that's part of the dementia. But there are other things that would cause dementia. So you don't have to have Alzheimer's to have dementia. Oh. But a lot of people with Alzheimer's has Alzheimer's dementia. Wow. I remember I remember my mother-in-law would talk about, um, you know, even family members of these patients that you guys take care of. Some of them are pretty good and some of them are pretty rude to their, you know, their, their family members when they do visit. Mm-hmm. And that translates into how they treat you, the caregiver. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how toxic can that be? Like if somebody's very negative and aggressive as a family member coming in to visit? And how do they treat you guys? Very toxic. Let me tell you, in the last, from January, I would say December 2020, Mm -hmm. to maybe around, maybe July or August of this year, I had sent emails after emails after emails. One particular family, very toxic mm. client behavior. That family to me now. I don't think it was intentional mm-hmm. <laughs> because nobody is gonna come and just want to create issues intentionally. Right. But I think you know walking into a facility where you have nurses who are are the experts in that that particular area. Mm-hmm. And you're coming in and you're asking for advice and because you're not hearing what you want to hear and because you don't feel that we're doing an effective job, it gives you the right to verbally abuse us. And I say verbally, yeah. almost physical. Wow. <laughs> verbally, almost physical. Those are the, the type of um, confrontation that was taking place. And you know me as a very reserved person. Yeah. And there are times when I feel like I just want to scream at that person. Oh. But I, I have extremely, <laughs> extremely good self-control. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to those situations, I, I think my customer service level from working in customer service before going into nursing had prepared me for those type of um, 
experiences. So yeah. whenever I come into contact with families who are very demanding, who are unreasonable, who are unappreciative, basically it it really does center me right back into Wendy, why did you come into nursing? Because mm-hmm. those experiences really have like you 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 have to say at the end of the day, well no, this is not the norm. This is one. Right. <laughs> this is right. only two because their families was very appreciative. But that couple months for me, Derek, was my hardest in years. Wow. I spoke to the doctor, manager, doctor, manager. My next step was union and stress leave. Wow. <laughs> you know, because that family would constantly, and not only um, the nursing staff, the PSW staff who are getting abused by the clients already are in a, in a room. Imagine you're in a room with a family directing care. Don't mm-hmm. do this. Don't do that. Don't do the next. Oh, this is going to happen. Oh, you don't know what you're doing. Oh, I don't want this person to do care. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was a very, very, very toxic environment for the last few months. Wow. Wow. So, as I said, I started having some physical mm-hmm. and some just mentally exhausted days where it's like I told the manager, I don't want to come to work. I come because I have a responsibility to the clients who yeah. I really do care for. Yeah. But I don't want to come to work if I have to experience that every day. Yeah. You know, so it, it was a really, really, and I think I have been challenged by a lot of families over the, the last 15 years. But mm-hmm. no, last year was just a rough one. A different level. <laughs> <laughs> different level. Now, we've been talking about family, other people's families. Um, what does family mean to you? Well, family to me is extremely important. I don't know if you know that about me, but mm-hmm. um, sometimes I would be invited to something. So I went, oh no, because I have prior commitments with my family. Yeah. Are we doing this? Are we doing that? Yeah. So I I really pride myself on, you know, being in a family that I really do appreciate mm-hmm. and I know appreciates me also. Yeah. So it, it's very, very important. Nice. And... What are some of the things that um, you like to do with your family that you enjoy doing? I really do enjoy traveling. Nice. Um, with my family, and we do a lot of get-togethers. So I have a big family in Canada. Also, mm-hmm. <laughs> my mom has um, two sisters here and a brother. Nice. Uh, actually, three sisters and a brother. So basically, we. We do a lot of family get-together during the holidays, during birthdays, showers, you know, things like that. And COVID was really hard for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because we had to stay away from each other. We had to do all of the Zoom yeah. um, parties. But we really get together any chance we get just to, to be around each other. And that, that's what we do. Nice. <laughs> and what is, what is the, the one emotion that you experience most when you're with family? Uh, just that easiness. That you, you don't, I don't have to be a nurse today. Right. You know, right. I, I, I don't really have to be a mom today if I don't want to because I have so much cousins who, yeah. if my kids are doing something that they're not supposed to, they yeah. will discipline them so I can just relax. <laughs> you know, so I, I really do appreciate that. And we have that same thing that, um, you know, raising kids it takes a village, village and yeah. I have a village. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a village. 
And what what really motivates you to get up every morning to do what you do? Right now, I would have to see um, my kids, first of all. Mm-hmm. I definitely want them to achieve. I want the best for them. I know I am here for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was given this opportunity as an immigrant to come into the system where I had more opportunity than my parents had. So I want to make sure that they have um, more opportunities than that I have, yeah. you know, coming into the country as an immigrant. So I, I really do feel motivated um, by my kids. I also feel motivated by my clients. Nice. I do feel like, you know, when I go to work, it's like, it's almost like they're, they become family to me. So you end up, you know, sitting at home and thinking, oh, I wonder if that person ate today. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, you know. So I, they are also a part of my my motivation. Yeah, that's awesome. And my dad. And who? My dad. His high expectations. Ah. <laughs> yeah. So what does he expect for you? Success. In whichever way that it presents itself. Mm-hmm. So he basically wants his family to be successful. He wants us to work together. He wants us to, nice. you know, put family first. Nice, nice. And um, what do you hope to achieve by age 55? Oh, 55. <laughs> yeah, 55. Very specific. I'm not far from there, you know. <laughs> well, you can't be that. Wait, we're, how old are you right now? Actually, don't even answer that. Forget that. <laughs> but um, you can't be that far off because, I mean, you can't be that close, I mean. I'm, I'm assuming we're closer in age than we are apart. Yeah, we are. <laughs> okay, so 55 is still a ways away. Yeah. But what do you what do you hope to achieve? 55. Um, I would say that you know I would like to financially be more secure. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that means property ownership, whether it means um, more investment. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I would like, and for you know, my family to be influenced by, like, you know, what I am doing. Because I do have a lot of cousins and nieces and nephews coming up. And I do want to be an example for them. I want to, mm-hmm. to show them that, you know what, this is the way to go about and, and do it to, you know, not only feel proud for themselves, but to create a legacy and have, you know, something that they can look back and feel proud of. Yeah, that's awesome. So we we are at a point where I introduced, um, I have a segment in the show called Thinking Out Loud. And I'm going to ask you a bit of a, it's supposed to be really random, but for you, it's a little, it's kind of on par with family um, in a way. So I'm going to give you two options and then you're going to pick one without overthinking it. I'm just curious to see what you end up going with. You ready for it? (laughs) So it goes, would you rather... Go back to the past and meet your loved ones who've passed away or go to the future to meet your children or grandchildren to be? Hmm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I would choose the, the future. The reason why, because I have had the privilege to have my grandmother and grandfather in my life for a while before they passed. Mm-hmm. And I feel that, you know, based on my upbringing, 
my values. It's been passed down for generation after generation. I feel I turned out okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know if there's anything I would want to go back and ask them or, mm-hmm. you know, learn from them because I feel that the impact that I felt from my my parents and my grandparents is enough. So right. I would say the future. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm definitely with the future as well because the past, um, as great as it is, it's it has its limitations. Also, as far as um, dreams, right? Like it's yeah, it doesn't allow us to dream uh, about the future if we're living in the past. And so uh, that's yeah. my only reason for going to the future because I'd be curious to see what got passed on. You know, yeah. to see what these kids are doing that was an extension of either my impact or influence or, or their parents or their grandparents. And so that's what I kind of want to see. I'd be curious to see. So yeah, I would definitely go with the future as well. Um, what's, what's your biggest fear on this journey of life that you're going through? Fear that I may get to the point where I feel like I have not achieved what I set out to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, to me, I kind of started late in terms of my goals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's like, I don't know if you're also aware that I worked um, 13 years part-time. No way. Even, mm-hmm. <laughs> wait, Even wait, so, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you've been with the same organization for 15, but 13 of those you were part-time? Yes. So you just became full-time in the last two years? Yes, and it was a choice I made now. <laughs> um, for for the reason, the main reason was I was having some health complications mm-hmm. uh, earlier on in my career, which I felt like, you know what, I did not want to go to work and have to call in sick all the time. Oh, uh, got it. Basically, you know, and I wanted a family. Mm-hmm. I was having, you know, a bit of a hard time having a family. So that was kind of my priority then. Got it. Um, I think I did sacrifice that earning power for mm-hmm. the last 13 years. Yeah. Um, but in exchange, I got two beautiful boys. Right. And I was able to be a part of the, their life up until now, mm. where I feel that I have instilled a lot of my values in them. Yeah. So now I'm comfortable going to work full time. They're older. They understand now. Mm-hmm. So I see, I felt that, you know, my time with them was necessary to our family yes. to mold them to what they are now. They're still kids, mm-hmm. but to mold them and feel comfortable enough that now if I have to leave them with someone that I know that they will make, you know, a lot of the right decisions based yeah. on the value yeah. that they already have instilled in them. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm assuming this next question is probably going to answer, you probably just answered it, but what are you most proud of in, in this journey of your life? Yes, I I am proud that, you know, we were able to, you know, create two beautiful kids. Yeah. And basically, and I'm on my way of, you know, getting to, you know, that dream of, you know, why my mom came here mm-hmm. in the first place, you yeah. know, to, to make her proud of of us as kids and make her feel that her time and her sacrifice was worthwhile. Yeah. Wow. 
it's funny, the things we do for the future and sometimes the people around us aren't aware of our vision and so they can never understand why we're sacrificing certain things. Yeah. And and they always look at our potential and what's possible, but they don't see the big picture that we have in our, you know, in our minds, in our mind's eye. So do you have a favorite memory that you keep going back to? Uh, childhood memory? Anything. Hmm. So much memories. <laughs> <laughs> I'm limiting you to picking one that you keep going back to, that you just enjoy, that it puts a smile on your face every single time. You know what? I would have to say a childhood memory. Only mm-hmm. because sometimes when I sit down and analyze my life, as a child, sometimes you think, oh, but mommy didn't get us this and daddy didn't get us right, that. This right. has to be <laughs> and you felt, you, we felt like we were not really getting enough or yeah. we didn't have the latest, you know, toys. We didn't have the latest, like, clothing. And I look back at what we had as kids. My dad used to just on a Sunday evening just take the whole family. He had a passenger bus. Mm-hmm. And we used to just explore Grenada. Like we're driving. He's taking us here to do to look at this particular site and uh, we're going to buy ice cream and things like that. Nice. So I really do appreciate the memories of, of that because yeah. I look back at it now and say we were blessed because now I look at the people who were around us mm-hmm. and I see that what we had they didn't have. Yeah. We had running water. We had indoor toilet. <laughs> we wow. had a concrete structure house. You know, we had all those things. And those things are not important when it comes to value. Yeah. But what I felt as a child, I was missing. Mm-hmm. I, I really wasn't missing it at all. No. You know? No. So I, I really do go back to those times when, like, you know, all of us are sitting in the bus and we're running up and down the, yeah. the bus because there's no passengers. Yeah. It's just us, you know? So... <laughs> I go back to those memories a lot. And we did a lot as a family. Yeah, that's awesome. That makes sense. That makes sense why family is important. Who who would you say are three of your uh, real life heroes? If you have to pick three people that have had an impact, either present or in the past, if whether they're here or not, but they've had an impact on you that you consider to be a hero in your in your universe. I would definitely have to say my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, this man is someone who is extremely driven. <laughs> mm-hmm. He is very optimistic. He is very critical in his thinking. He's a thinker. <laughs> yeah. And whenever I speak to that man, I don't care how dumb I feel. Sometimes I may not even tell him what's going on, mm-hmm. you know? But just that conversation that we have and how he's constantly encouraging and, you know, hoping for the best. And this is what I I, I want for you kids. And this is what, you know, I um, would have done if I had this opportunity and I had that opportunity. He's self-educated. And when I listen to my dad speak, I feel like I'm speaking to a university professor. Wow. And funny thing, right now in my country, there's a election brewing mm-hmm. and so much issue. 
that yeah. I discussed with my dad as a 15 year old. I never used to talk outside the house, but we used to sit and have yeah. conversations. I told him the other day, I said, Daddy, 30 years ago, you said those things to me. The socioeconomic impact of the country, mm-hmm. how bad things would get, what's the, up to, the, 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 the future looking like for Grenada. He forecast that he felt the opportunities that we have in Canada, we would not get in Grenada. And it's so true because there's a lot of people there yeah. who are not, you know, living. He, they're living the lives that he didn't want for us. Right. So he is very, like, you know, he's very articulate, very intellect, but he is self-taught. So I, I look at him because I'm like, if he's somebody who was self-taught, mm-hmm. didn't have any formal education, he read a lot, he write articles in newspaper with no title. Nice. He is just a man. He, yeah. There is no title after his name, but he's writing letters to the Caribbean um Committees. He's writing letters to the prime minister. He's writing articles in newspaper every week. You know, so that to me is very much inspiring, and that's why I'm saying I have to make my parents proud because I know the hard work and I know the dreams and aspirations they have for us. So he is one of the people that, over, you know, the period of my life, like he does not know how much he's impacted. Mm. Yeah. Think, and not only me, like yeah. a, a lot of people who he come into contact with. Yeah, and I think I think if he gets an opportunity to hear this interview, he'll definitely have a, a greater sense as to the level of impact that he's had on your life for sure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We are nearing the end, and I have two questions for you. Um, the first one is how how do you want to be remembered when it's all said and done? I definitely want to make an impact. Now I know I want to make an impact in healthcare. Mm. Now I may not go on to get my RN. Um, I may not go on to pursue higher education in in that capacity. Mm-hmm. But what I know I would like to do that I can do in my current um, position right now is do mentorship. Yeah, I think. I have a lot of colleagues who basically seek, I, I also seek help from them mm-hmm. or advice from them, but I also have a, pe- a lot of people coming towards me in terms of, when do you remember how to do this? What do you do in this situation? Right. And I feel like as a mentor, I could be more effective in bringing together the changes in healthcare that I think that is, you know, supposed to be in especially long-term care. Right. You know? Right. So I, I don't know where that would lead me eventually, but I know that that mentorship period that I have now, I really do hopefully get to pursue that before the end of my career. Nice. Nice. Now, before we wrap things up, can you leave our listeners with a word of wisdom to guide them on their journey? So I'm sitting here with a gratitude book, <laughs> a gratitude <laughs> journal, and funny, I'm on the page and I'll, I'll read it for you, but mm-hmm. it, I did not plan to, yeah. but I, I made little notes in there and this quote from Oprah Winfrey is just staring at me and I will just leave with that. Okay. Be thankful for what you have. You'll end up having more. If you concentrate on what you don't have, you will never ever have enough uh-huh. and yeah Oprah Winfrey and I'm like 
I got this journal from a colleague who saw me struggle mm -hmm. <laughs> um, through the last few months and basically said, Wendy, you need to slow down. You need to start collecting your thoughts. You need to basically bring that focus back to you. I know everything that's going on around you is, you know, very tough right now. But you know what? Take pen to paper and write down what you're thankful for. It will help you, mm. you know? So that is what I've started um, doing. And that's why I have this good in front of me. So I am thankful, even though there are lots of challenges in life and yeah. in my career right now, I am really thankful for a spouse. I'm thankful for my extended family. I'm thankful for my parents still, you know, around to basically they're still guiding my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm 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 really thankful for a lot of things in life. And sometimes we don't really sit down and say, Well, I don't have this, but at least I have that. So Man. I'm thankful. <laughs> I, I'm I'm thankful to know you. Um and I'm definitely thankful to know that I was right when I assumed that you have a heart of gold. And, um, you know, I think you're pure spirit and that's rare. Uh, a lot of people come with, with conditions um, that they don't disclose when they meet somebody and, and, you know, they're telling people who they are, but really that's just a mask that we put on. And it's no different from having Instagram now, right? Like a lot of people tell one side of the, the life that they want to live or, you know, perceived to live. Meanwhile, the reality of it is not what it's displayed on screens. And so uh, I just want to commend you, first of all, for even coming on and doing this because I know how nerve wracking it can be. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad we're able to have this candid conversation because I think not just your, your journey, but some of the stories that you shared with me tonight is going to be extremely beneficial to someone who might be going through something and recognizing that they can get through it. Um, just by you sharing some of the examples that you've given through this conversation. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Is there, I, I don't know how comfortable you are with it, but I usually give my guests the opportunity to share their social media handle uh, for anybody to reach out to them to just have a conversation. If there's another person out there that might um, want to get some words of encouragement or maybe ask you some questions that they've, based on what they've heard about, um, your industry that they, they might be pursuing, but they're not sure how to deal with certain situations. Are you comfortable with them reaching you on social media? Just ask questions or just follow and support whatever it is that you're doing. Um, so Wendy A7, <laughs> that's my Instagram. That's, W-E-N-D-Y A7. That's that, right? So I'll make sure I put that in the description. Um, for those of you listening, again, I want to thank you, Wendy, for coming on the show. I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in every week and, you know, supporting the show. If you are not on Podbean, please go ahead and download it so that you can support, download the episodes. That's how you show your support and love. Don't just stream it. I need you to download it, folks. You know, without further ado, until the next episode, love, peace, and nappiness. Mm -hmm.